Hello, and thank you for joining us for our latest podcast, Team Fiddles. Join the food fight, libraries, and food insecurity. In today's episode, we will talk with Misty Davis and Charity Blair of the Ohio Department of Education's Office of Integrated Student Supports. They'll fill us in on a lot of the latest information on getting involved in the summer food service program, after-school meals, and the at-risk student program. With that, let's join the food fight. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning for this informal Q&A with Misty Davis from the Ohio Department of Education. Misty is the Child Nutrition Assistant Director in the Integrated Student Supports Office. Your, your business card must be very long, Misty, because that's a, that's a mouthful. And she, we, we are also going to be joined by Charity Blair, who is an education program specialist. Um, everyone else here is from the Libraries of Ohio and is interested in the public library's role in supporting child nutrition. Many of them currently or in the past have served as summer food service program sites. Some of them have participated or do participate in the at-risk after-school nutrition program also. And I'm Janet Ingraham Dwyer. I'm the youth services consultant at the State Library of Ohio. That was primarily for charity because we haven't met before. I'm going to ask Misty and Charity to just describe their work a little bit. And I'd love to know a little bit about the Integrated Student Supports Office in general, because I think there's a lot that will resonate with the public libraries that are very invested in the whole child and in community engagement also. And then we will just answer questions. Any questions you have, big, small, technical, or whatever, about the summer and after school programs. This is super informal. Just unmute and ask or use the chat and I can feed questions to Misty and Charity as well. So I'll go ahead and pass it over to you. Thank you so much. Well, good morning. Um, Thank you for the lovely introduction. Our Office of Integrated Student Supports um, really has two sides to it. There's the child nutrition side in which Charity and I work. And then there's what's called the whole child side. And so That group, or I guess us collectively, we are a, as it says, support entity for the whole child. The whole child side, I'm just going to kind of go through our list. They have folks that work with safe supportive schools, um, school safety, the climate of the school. They have um, an attendance advisor, so uh, schools that have tardiness and attendance and how to deal with that and, and the end goal being getting kids to school and not penalizing them. Um, there's also a health and wellness, there's an English um, learner section, and there's also a correctional piece, so in, uh, incarcerated youth, and they also have a homeless area. And the last one would be the vulnerable youth. So uh, they have a wide variety of students that they try to touch in their work and get, as, get access to as many programs as they can to help these children be successful. Um, so we do We do some cross collaboration with them, but on the child nutrition side, our work is very streamlined. It's focused with the school lunch program, child adult care food program, and then of course the summer food service program. So just to give you a little overview, the summer food service program is really to fill the need when school is out. So if there's a gap in an area, summer food service sponsors can come on board, provide meals over the summer. Traditionally, Um, The area would have to be 50% free or reduced, and we do have a map through USDA that can provide that information. 
So a lot of this may be information you already know. And since the pandemic has occurred, the qualification is still 50% frame reduced or higher. However, Ohio did get a waiver just to cover this year that would allow 30% frame reduced and higher to qualify to be on the program and then serve up to two meals, all free, no charge to children. <laughs> Charity, do you want to give a little overview on the at-risk? Sure. So uh, the uh, after-school at-risk program is really designed to function while school is in session during the school year. So it would be valid from, depending on the district that you're in, from the first day of school to the last day of school. So it would be just um, during the school year. Uh, it can operate seven days a week. It can operate uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, it can operate on the weekends. Um, you can also operate on holidays or days that school is not in session during the school year. So again, traditionally, this would be done in a school district, your, wherever your library is. So if a, if a child was to live at your library, whatever school they would go to is the school that you would use to qualify. So you could use any school in the district that would be in the attendance area of where your library is. Uh, and traditionally, like Misty said, it would need to be a school district that is 50% or more free and reduced. However, with the area eligibility waivers that are in effect for uh, next school year 21-22, basically all areas are eligible because all schools are eligible. So uh, you would be able to operate an after-school at-risk program regardless of the school's free or reduced percentage. So in that program, what you would be able to do is when school is over for the day, you would be able to offer a supper and or a snack. So you could offer two uh, meal types. And um, you would just need to offer some sort of educational or enrichment activity, which for you guys is really easy <laughs> because you're a library. So you really already have that, that piece done. But, you know, the, uh, the meal and snack after school could be offered to any child that comes into your library. It doesn't have to be just a school age child. It could be, um, you know, preschool through, you know, 18 years old. So, you know, really for you guys, you have a lot of a lot of great outreach because you have a lot of kids probably in and out of your libraries, you know, after school doing homework, doing tutoring. Um, and then I know I've, I've worked with some libraries in the past that do offer like tutoring and, and different types of programs like that. So, you know, you guys really are a great, a great way to offer kids meals after school because a lot of you have kids there anyway. So just offering a meal is kind of just a benefit, um, you know, to the kids to get them fed after school. Um, the only real paperwork requirement would be you would have to take like attendance. So it could be something like a sign-in sheet. So the kids could come in and sign in their name. So it just have to be first name and last name. Um, or you could have a staff member um, as they're handing out the meal, they could have an attendance sheet and they could be taking attendance. Um, and then there, there are some meal counting requirements that um, when you come on the program, we would help you figure out. So it's really kind of a high level of the after school program. Thanks very much, Charity, and thank you, Misty. I appreciate what you said, Charity, about the sort of, there's a real win-win aspect to the after-school program because with libraries that are adjacent or near to schools or otherwise that under ordinary circumstances, and we're all over the place because of the pandemic, of course, um, you'll see some of us in our beautiful home offices and others have their libraries fully open with, with social distancing guidelines and masking. It's not the typical after-school situation 
that we're accustomed to. But under the typical after-school situation, many of the libraries are flooded with young people at 3 p.m. Yeah. And they have not eaten since 11 a.m. And so it's, it, I mean, it's a recipe for behavior. It's, there's, the libraries are there for their kids, but if they could give them a little something, that would have so many benefits also. So it, it does feel like a win-win. Yeah, and there is a, a, a waiver right now. It's a non-congregate feeding waiver. So you could do like a grab-and-go type meal where you could um, have a meal prepared and ready and the kids would just come and take it and, and go. They wouldn't necessarily have to eat on site. Whereas a typical school year after school at risk program, they would be required to stay on site and, and have the meal in the library somewhere in the library. Uh, but with some of the USDA waivers, there's lots of flexibility going on right now with uh, what types of meals you can serve, how you can serve them, can the kids take them home, can they eat them there? So, you know, each library I'm sure right now is specific, you know, limited hours, can anybody come in, are they just dropping books off, are they just taking books? So, you know, you could offer meals still in that way, uh, it would just be kind of a grab and go type, um, type way. I just have a quick question, um, or maybe not so quick, but... <laughs> the at-risk program take attendance like why do they require attendance when the summer food service program doesn't I'm just curious so it's really just program specific um the after school at risk program is has some different requirements than the summer food service program um so it, one of the requirements of that program is there has to be some sort of attendance um, to support the number of meals that you are serving each day um, for the after school at risk program, is there a need for the library to have a refrigeration for the meals or uh, what is what is needed for that? Uh, so it just kind of depends on the meal pattern requirements for a snack um, would just be two components. So the the meal components are a, um, a meat, a grain, a vegetable, a fruit and a milk. So if you were doing just snack, you could choose two of the five. So depending on what you serve, not necessarily refrigeration needed. If you were going to serve a supper meal, uh, milk is required for them to have during supper. So you would probably need some sort of refrigeration to keep the milk at, at the correct temperature. With the waivers that are currently in place, uh, can a dairy substitute for the milk currently? Because I know uh, we run run. We work with about five or six sites and sometimes the grab and go meals we get have dairy but not necessarily milk in them currently. So I don't think the meal pattern waiver um, will allow you to substitute any dairy for milk. So with the meal pattern, milk is milk. So there's not really anything that substitutes milk. It's not really a dairy component, it's a milk component. However, we do have some meal pattern waivers that if milk is not available, so if there's a shortage in your area, you can't purchase it, um, you know, there, there, there is a little bit of leeway about serving milk in, in that aspect. But to just substitute it with another dairy product, um, that, that would not be allowed. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I, was, I think that's probably what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. And that rule would apply to the summer food service as well. It's, it's linked to a fluid milk rather than say yogurt or cottage cheese or cheese. So, yeah. so typically the dairy substitutes like the yogurt, the cottage cheese, the cheese sticks, those are going to really be for um, actually a meat, meat alternate. So if you're substituting, say a 
typical meat, what we think of like chicken patty, you could substitute a, a meat for a meat alternate, which would be like the cottage cheese, the cheese sticks, yogurt, things like that. I have a question. Um, I work at Perry Cook Library and we run multiple different like little learners and A to Z and like they're basically story hours for little kids. And they're at like slightly different times because of the age groups. Can we serve food like when we usually just do a snack, but to each group um, instead of doing it like at one specific time? Um, so I know for the after school at risk program, we can, we can get you a better answer. Um, but just off the top of my head, after school at risk, really the purpose is to function after the school day is over. Those meals are typically done, you know, like a PM snack and a supper, but I'm not sure about doing it during the day. I'll have to, I can look that up and and get you guys uh, an answer to that. Misty, do you know if that is I don't think it's possible, but uh, I, I don't. Yeah, sure. but we but we need to look that up to be sure. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, OK, yeah, very good question. We will find that out and then we can email that back to Janet and she can share it with all of you. Mm-hmm. Perfect. OK, I am Jill from the Upper Sandusky Community Library. For both of these programs, you supply the money for us to get the food and then we distribute it. Is that correct? Um, in a broad nutshell. Shell, yes. Um, each meal that you serve, there is um, a rate of reimbursement tied to it. Typically, either one of these programs really are not set up to cover your entire cost. So you may have costs outside of the program that it may not cover. I mean, typically the, the food that you would purchase, the reimbursement should cover that, but you just have to know it's it's not intended to Yeah. So your reimbursement is really tied to the number of meals that you serve, not necessarily how much the food costs you to provide. So if you kind of think about it in that way, your costs are really just showing us that you're spending the USDA dollars on allowable items, which would be food and non-food items. Whereas your reimbursement really comes from um, the meal counting that you do as the kids take the meal. So, you know, if you have 10 kids and and it ends up being a hundred meals during the month, then you're reimbursed based on that hundred meals that you serve, not necessarily how much it costs you to serve that hundred meals. Charity and Misty, I believe this is the case for the at-risk after-school program, but I'm not as familiar with it. We know this about summer food service program. If a library or another community agency is serving as the site, if that's their role is to be the summer food service program site, and they're working with sponsoring organization, then it's good for us to know the details about the food. But I'm just trying to reassure the libraries that are kind of at that level that making all of these decisions and doing all of this work around planning and preparing the food is not necessarily your part of the responsibility. Can you address that a little bit about what entities are responsible for what? Um, yeah, so if you uh, if you partner with a um, a sponsoring organization, so you would necess- you would be uh, basically a site underneath that organization. Um, and they would actually probably take care of procuring the food for you. They would just deliver it to you. You would basically hand it out to the kids, keep the meal counts records, keep the um, attendance records send the, you know, all of that documentation, there's, there's a few other documents, but you would send that documentation at the end of the month to whoever your partner or sponsoring organization is. 
then they would actually complete the claim and, and you know, submit all of that for reimbursement. So you really would function as basically just the distribution site and keeping track of the meals that were served. So they would probably more than likely, you know, bring the meals to you already prepared um, or shelf stable, whatever, you know, your agreement is with them. And then they would take care of all of that. And that can happen in summer and after school at risk. Thank you. I appreciate that. Cindy asks in the chat what the reimbursement is for snacks and meals. If I could pull that up here really quick. So under the summer food service program, a breakfast is reimbursed at $2.24. Lunch is at $3.91. And a snack is 91 cents. For after school at risk, a snack would be reimbursed at 96 cents. And a supper would be reimbursed at $3.51. So rates are good from July 1st through June 30th of the following year. Uh, So they may um, increase just a smidge, but that's basically what they are currently. Um, I have another question, I'm sorry. So if the sponsoring agency provides the food, the library is the site where the kids would get the food, and then we are required for um, school year 21-22 to have an enrichment activity. Is that correct? Yeah, so any after-school program, after-school at-risk program, would there is a, a requirement for an enrichment activity. Uh, but again, like, like I said, you guys are libraries, so really them just coming there to do their homework, that's an enrichment activity. So you being a library, not that you have to offer a special program, just the fact that you have resources available for them, you have computers available, that really is kind of your enrichment activity. But if you're doing, so I do want to say this, so if you're going to do a grab and go type meal, you would need to include some sort of um, activity with their meal. So it could be a a website that they could log on to, information about a website they could get on to do homework, help, or educational games. Um, It could be puzzle pages that you send home, you know, anything. It would just have to be something that you send home with the meal uh, if they're not going to be on site eating the meal. But that's just a requirement. Misty, they don't, do they need to do that for summer as well? Um, If it would be an open site, no, they would not. If it was closed, enrolled, they're a camp, it becomes a little bit different. But if it's just a, a straight open site that you would accept anyone, then no. I have a question. We did the summer one a couple of years back, and we had to give the snack at a specific time every single day. Is that still in place? You can determine what time you want to offer that, but then it must maintain throughout your program unless you let us know that you're changing it for some reason. And there is a window that you need to serve, and so you would have to maintain that. Well, we found that some days that we had programs going on and it interfered with our feeding the kids who didn't want to be to the program, but wanted to came in for the snack. Yeah, no, so if you, let's say Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you want to serve your snack at 1030, but on Tuesday and Thursday, you wanted it at 130, we could work that out. If that that would help. Because we couldn't do that. We had to have it exactly, the girl who came in, she made us exactly every day and that kind of interfered with our summer reading program. Yeah, so going on. Yeah, we, we can work with you on that. The biggest issue is that we want to make sure it's advertised and that people know and it's clear that what days and what times. Um, so as long as we can ensure that, I think we can work with that. Thank you. 
for libraries that can't find a sponsor directly, is there like a list or a way that you can help uh, put them in touch with a sponsoring organization to help find the vendor and get all the meals and paperwork taken care of? Uh, we, we can assist um, in locating a sponsor or a vendor um, in some cases. And oftentimes the schools will be a vendor for these programs. Um, but we can certainly help with that. Um, there is a link on our website. Um, it's called a Summer Food Service Clickable Map. And just today they took it down to get ready to upload for the new information. But it is a map of Ohio. It has little spoons and forks. If you've ever seen it, you can open up um, and drill down to your specific area and see what other programs are there um, and what other sponsors are operating. So there's a couple different ways we can get you that information. I know that uh, not always is the library the best place to hold a meal service. It's my understanding that the library itself doesn't necessarily have to host the meal or be in the eligible area, just the location where the meal is served. So if a library wants to partner with another organization, they can get a, what I think it's called like a separate entity agreement with this other location and provide the service there. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, it, let's say the library wasn't, uh, didn't have facilities to hold the number of kids you might be expecting, but there's a nearby park that you could use or a shelter house. And if there's a sponsor in that area, yes, you could connect with them. We've even had summer food service programs at local pools. So it's not just parks and, and libraries and rec centers. There's been a wide variety of sites. Charity and Misty, if a library wants to participate year-round, or basically participate in both <laughs> programs, it, it sounds like it would probably be typical that they could work with the same sponsor throughout, be that their school district. Um, I know that many libraries have been working with the Children's Hunger Alliance, which provides a sponsorship availability statewide. Some libraries work with their food banks or here in Columbus with Parks and Rec, with Columbus Rec and Parks. Um, um, so when, what, when does the program change over? Is it literally when the school year begins in whatever your school district is, then you're no longer doing summer food and now you're doing at risk after school? Or is there some kind of like stable date across the whole state? Yeah, it's just, it really is specific based on the school district that your library is located in. And it technically really is, you can serve summer meals up to the very first day of school. And then that very first day of school, um, you would be switched over to the after school at risk program, run that until the very last day of school. And then that next day, um, you would start the summer food service program. So you could do it year round. And, and a lot of sponsors, um, and, and actually Children's Hunger Alliance is one of my um, sponsors. So they work really closely with their sponsors and they do sponsor a lot of libraries um, to make that transition really easy so that you don't have any time period between, you know, school's out and you want to start your summer program. So typically uh, sponsors are pretty, um, pretty organized in that way that they can really transition you pretty smoothly so that you're not really uh, losing any time serving meals to kids. That's terrific. Thank you very much. And what, what I think I understand from what you're saying is on the ground right, at the level of the library staff who are assisting with distributing meals or who are providing the programming or who, you know, who are doing the responsibilities of the site. 
What looks different is that during the school year in the at-risk after-school program, there has to be some sort of enrichment activity, which if you're on-site is, is kind of endemic to libraries. So that's what you do. If it's grab and go, then it's send something with them, which is great because so many libraries are doing grab and go activities that they're sending home anyway. So it, I mean, yeah. that's, that's kind of in the bag. And they have to take attendance in the school year and neither of those things are specific in this i mean the, the libraries will continue to do enrichment during the summer of course but they won't have to take attendance because it's the different program correct correct okay this is jill again from the upper library i would have no idea how many meals to prepare is there a certain percentage taking the free and reduced lunches and trying to figure it out that way so you would start with a certain number of meals. So if on an average after school, um, say you have, you know, if you notice you have 20 kids in your library during the four to five o'clock time frame that you're going to serve the meal, you may start with 20 meals. And then if all of those meals go and you have kids that are still in line, maybe wanting a meal, um, then you would increase. And if you have, you know, five kids show up, you know, maybe you would decrease a little bit. Really, it's just you kind of estimating, you know, how many kids at a time, you know, during the time frame that you're going to serve meals may be in attendance. And I don't want to say it's okay to run out of meals, but that that can happen. So it's it's not, um, you know, we don't want you to order a hundred meals if really you're only going to have fifty kids on an average, just so you don't run out of meals. So if you run out of meals, that's okay. Um, as long as you take that to, into consideration and you adjust your, your um, order to your sponsor appropriately. And, you know, a lot of sponsors are, this is something they're really good at too, is helping you determine how many meals you need. Um, I know with uh, Children's Hunger Alliance, they do a really nice job of um, helping you calculate how many meals and helping you determine if you need to increase, decrease, and they also, a lot of sponsors also will give you extra meals in a shelf stable manner so that you have those meals on hand somewhere in your library that maybe doesn't require refrigeration. They're going to give you some shelf stable milk if you are doing a supper meal so that you can have those on hand that if you run out of the regular meal that you're serving, you have some of these shelf stable meals that you can grab and serve to the kids. So you know, a lot of sponsors are kind of moving to that as well. So you would still have some extra meals left over that you could um, serve if you ran out of the, the normal meal that you're going to serve during the day. Alice is in the chat. She's been there, um, Jill, and it is, it is definitely a guessing game. I, I imagine that if your sponsor has a shelf stable option, then it might not be a bad idea to start with a little extra box of shelf stable meals for if you do run out, because we hate to, because you know, we hate to not have something for the child when the child is there for us. So that, right. that's, you know, that's, that's on people's hearts when they're thinking about this. Sue asks, or Sue mentions in the chat, and I feel like this is something that needs clarification, that when she, they did summer snacks, she said they had to keep attendance. I feel like there's, there must have been some miscommunication in that. If it was an open site, they would have not had to have kept attendance. If they had enrolled as a camp or closed enrolled, I mean, we have some different options, um, then they would have to. But if it's just a standard open site and you would uh, feed any child that walked in, you would only basically 
count the kids as you serve them and you wouldn't need an uh, attendance or names or anything like that. What's an open site? An open site means you would serve any child that was in attendance there. I shouldn't say in attendance, but any child that would come get in line for a meal, you would serve them. There'd be no restriction on it. I'll jump in and say, Sue, that as I've been working with life, Misty and Charity are the experts. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm library with you, but I have learned a lot about the nutrition programs over working with libraries for several years on them. And I, I would say that 99.5% of the time a library is an open site because the idea is any child who comes through the door who wants a meal can have a meal. And to be organized some other way would probably involve if the library was doing a specific summer camp for some registered group of kids who were at the library for several hours a day and you were getting meals just for that group of kids. That would be in a different category. But almost all of us are just providing meals to whoever comes in the door and I'll also say, because I don't know if this has come up, that even under ordinary circumstances with the area eligibility, where 50% of your kids have to be eligible for the National School Lunch Program, anybody, the richest kid in town can come in the door and get a meal. There's no individual eligibility with these programs with open sites. So yes, I hope that, that I hope is that correct. Helps you which I think is one of the things that's good about these programs because it really serves to, it serves to counter stigma, you know, around getting a handout. And frankly, being a library and participating in this serves to counter stigma also because everybody from the least economically resourced to the most economically resourced person in your community comes into the library and gets stuff for free. And, and you know, and you, you all are amazing equalizers. So, and Sue, I'm sorry, I got in a soapbox and kind of got away from your question, but I hope that helps. You should not have to take attendance in the summer. And really one plug for libraries that I see, you know, when we're out traveling and we have time between sites, I usually find a library to sit and do some work. And I will say, I am amazed at during the summertime, the amount of children that are there from 9 a.m. in the morning until 5 p.m. at night, their parents just drop them off and leave them at the library. And one of the libraries here in um, Columbus, where I live, I was talking to the librarian and she said, you know, it, it really is um, interesting, the, the number of kids that are just dropped off at the library and they just stay there all day long. So, you know, those kiddos are hungry during the day. So you guys offering a meal and a snack and a breakfast or whatever you're going to offer to them. I mean, that really is almost like a, a needed service for those kids. You know, what are they going to eat during the day while they're there? It just really kind of amazed me that, and I said, you know, you guys don't have any policies about people just dropping off their kids and leaving. And she said, it kind of depends on how old they are and whatever, but I was just very, um, that was an eye-opening experience for me. I was very surprised. And, and it wasn't just like one kid. It was like 20 kids. I mean, I was just really surprised at how many, you know, how many kids were at the library with no parent. <laughs> so you guys do a nice job uh, taking care of those kids during the summer, I do have to say. They, they're they all nodding along, believe me. Thanks, Charity. That's that's very gracious. And yeah, that's, that is their, it hasn't been their reality with COVID and they worry about right. this. Where, where are they all summer if they're not at the library? Yeah. I, I got, this is a separate topic, but it's very interesting. I got an, a question in um, direct chat from a librarian who asks if it's possible to accept direct donations for the nutrition programs. And what she's saying specifically is that if individuals in the community want to donate money to support the program, is that doable? 
and then a second question is what if people want to donate food? So the donation of food becomes quite tricky because your local health department will have some concerns, you know, especially if it's something made out of their home that would not be allowable. If you have a vendor or a sponsor, they're going to take care of the food portion of that for you. So in that respect, I would be very leery of accepting food donations just because you're not, you can't be 100% sure of the origin of it or how it's been handled. Um, as far as money donated to your program, if, if the library is the sponsor, they would just have to keep track of that and designate how it was used. Otherwise, I don't know that we would get involved. Do you have anything else to add to that, Charity? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like Misty. It, it wouldn't, we really probably wouldn't be involved in that part of it. You would just be accepting it on behalf of the library, not necessarily, you know, using it to purchase your food, because if you're with a sponsor, they are going to take care of all of that for you. My name's Kate. I'm at the Marysville Public Library, and we've been doing summer lunches for a really long time. And I'll tell you, the biggest thing is people don't understand what the surface is. So they think we get a grant. They think that we're getting like, yes, that we're paying for it out of pocket and they want to donate money to help us. And so it's really hard to help them understand that it's actually, you know, sort of a, a government level <laughs> sponsorship. And so the money's really okay. But I, whenever they've asked that question, I always really encourage them just to make the donation directly to the library to help us with the activities, mm -hmm. to help us with any programs that we can offer in collaboration with our lunches because yes it really if you have a sponsor or your vendor everything's taken care of it's really hands-off for you which is amazing so yeah I've always just encouraged them to make the donation directly to the library so that we can use it to continue offering activities with summer lunches if that helps at all no matter how many times you explain I mean I even work with people who have asked me now how do you start this grant process how do how do we and I'm like no 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 so Definitely, it's a learning experience, but yeah, just ask me to give it to the library because we always need more, <laughs> more donations for sure. Make sure I understand this correctly too. For next school year, there is no um, eligibility requirements. So any school in the, in the state is eligible for the food service program that, for the at-risk. Correct. Yes, it's correct. Okay, thank you. I was thinking about, the, this, is, this is unanswerable, it's unanswerable, so I shouldn't even ask it, but I also feel like it needs to be articulated. We don't know what's going to happen after next school year. Libraries that are in areas that are eligible now, but would not have been eligible before the waivers, they should brace themselves to, again, not be eligible in the future unless the USDA decides to make those waivers permanent. Is that correct? And that's, that's at the USDA level. I think I understand that. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So, um, they have put a blanket waiver in place for next school year. Beyond that, we don't have any additional information. So as we know it right now, after next school year, we would, we would be back to the regular rules of 50% or greater, free and reduced. Thank you. And again, that's, I mean, we do not have a crystal ball. The USC could decide to make some changes permanent. The pandemic could still be with us. We hope right. And, and I guess I would um, even take the next step further for this summer. Um, if you have a site that is below the 30% free and reduced in the area or a school building, we can work with you to see if we can identify um, how the pandemic has impacted that community. We can do some information gathering and see if we can get your site on the program. So don't think that if you're below 30%, you're just out of luck. Please call our office. 
we're happy to work with you to see if we can make that a site. This may be more information than people really want right now, but the child nutrition reauthorization is getting a lot of attention again this year. And that is the program by which Congress looks at all those uh, nutrition programs. And there's a lot of willpower to make things happen. And there is a possibility that a lot of these waivers, since our members of Congress have seen the impact of the expanded programs and that COVID has laid bare a lot of the problems with the programs as they exist, mm -hmm. that in the next year or two, they'll take that up and there will be significant changes to paperwork, eligibility, timeframes. I think they'll be looking at a lot of that and with, with luck, a little hope, uh, we may see a lot of these changes made permanent or at least closer to the levels they're at now. That's a very valid point with the new administration in place. Um, they could have a very different take on these programs than what we've seen in the past. So, um, and like you said, the, the time it, it's ripe for evaluation, so. Hi, this is Jill from the upper library again. For each library, it's gonna be different probably because it depends on how much your sponsor wants to be involved. Is that correct? Because, um, at some libraries, maybe all they have to do is hand out the meals. At others, they may have to put it together. It depends on your sponsor, that's correct? That would be true. Um, some sponsors may provide you a whole meal unit uh, prepackaged and you would give the whole package to the child. Um, others may give you pieces and parts that would have to be assembled. And that would just be part, um, is you're looking for a sponsor those are all good questions to ask. You know, if you want it to be quickly facilitated as possible, you know, perhaps you look for a vendor that can provide you a unitized package and can provide it daily at the time that you need it, especially if you don't have refrigeration or other um, equipment that might need to hold food. Jill, I've heard from many libraries that leverage their own volunteers. For those of you who can use volunteers at the library, um, as well as staff to assist with the summer program, particularly when you're doing sit-down on-site traditional summer food service, there is, there's, there's work to be done, there's cleanup to be done, there's monitoring the situation to be done and so forth. I've also heard of libraries that partner with community organizations that provide volunteers specifically for the summer food service program, perhaps, you know, one church or religious entity or other volunteer group might take a week at a time and provide support staffing for the program. So there are a lot of different creative ways that you can expand your capacity to be able to support the parts of the program that um, the, the library as a site need to be responsible for. Haley asks if it's possible to give multiple meals out at one time if we're only handing out one day a week to cover multiple days worth of meals, um, similar to backpack lunches. There is a waiver that um, allows you to provide food non-congregately so that you can give it to them to take home and you can do multiple meal distributions. So if you're doing a snack and a lunch or a breakfast and a lunch and you want to provide a week's worth, um, you would be able to do that. And as a note, if you are looking for help starting a program, the Ohio Association of Food Banks works with a group to provide volunteers either for the summer or for the school year. I believe that link is ohiofoodbanks.org slash recruitment. I, it's called the VISTA Volunteer Program. 
I think deadline to apply for summer may have passed by now, but going forward, you may be able to find some help with your programs through there. And one other way to find help is a lot of high school students need volunteer hours to graduate. So uh, just kind of keep that in mind. I've seen um, some libraries partner with their local high school and they get some volunteers that way for students that need those volunteer hours to graduate. For volunteers, we use Volunteer Spot. It's a free um, online setup uh, where you, you put in the times and dates that you need it and how many people you want to come. And then we provide the link through our Facebook and our website. And so we have a lot of community organizations like our um, Board of DD always sends some people. Um, our health department will always send some people. Help Me Grow likes to come out, Head Start, because it gives them a chance to see a lot of their clients as well. Um, we get teachers who come out and then just a lot of people in the community who want to try to find a way to support this, like I said. And since we don't need money to run it, they're willing to volunteer an hour, you know, to come out and help us serve food and then do a little bit of cleanup. So there are different ways you can put out a call for volunteers as well. Um, that works really easily. And then it's kind of hands off for you because they just sign up on their own and they show up. Uh, you just have to tell them the expectations and kind of run over a brief training, but it, that just takes a couple of minutes. I have a question just because I'm curious. Do we have the data back from last year yet to know how many like sites or meals we served compared to like non-pandemic years or is that still in the works? Year we served uh, 9 million and a little over 700,000 meals. So that was a huge jump because in 2019, we were about a million 600. So, but keep in mind that these numbers are a little inflated because schools were able to be on the summer food service program when the pandemic started back in March. So a lot of them started in March and went all the way through. So uh, for right now, 2020 is definitely an outlier. And as I look back through 2018 and back to 2017, we were averaging a million seven, both of those years. So it looks, you know, a million and a half meals was pretty standard. Last year, it jumped to over 9 million. Currently for 2021, we're at over 22 million. But keep in mind, again, that's because all these schools switched over to that program. So what normally would have been school lunch meals is now being counted under summer food. So you have to keep that data in mind, but yeah, big jump for the program. So the statistics are gonna be really messy until such time as the national school lunch program is re-separated from the summer food service program because now, because yeah. my <clears throat> eyes popped when you said, well, you said a million and I'm like, that's a lot of meals. And then you said 1 million, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. But, I, but I see that if it were possible to separate out what, you know, the summer meals that were actually being served by non-school sites or, or you know, by, mm -hmm. by traditional summer food service program sites, that'd be interesting to find out, but it's probably impossible yeah. to. Well, and it was, my, it was meals being served by community sponsors was very low last year. Many, many of our community organizations did not participate because of the stay-at-home order. And so that really, well, once the pandemic hit in March and schools switched over, they continued on the program all summer. Um, so they provided the meals, they, they were there, the gap was filled. But yes, the numbers are a little inflated because of the pandemic. 
We saw that in our sector, Misty. There were over 120 libraries that served as sites last year. Thank you, libraries. That was fabulous, mm -hmm. but it was also a significant drop from the 150-ish that we have had yeah. in the past. And that you know, we had libraries that were 100% closed last summer. We had libraries that were that said we didn't need to do this because the school next door was already serving the meals, and so it didn't make sense to for us to do it. Also, so. This year's its own outlier. So we'll see what things look like this summer. Well, and I think another um, reason for the increase, the waivers that were in place allowed food to be sent home in the multiple day distribution, which is something that wouldn't have occurred before because you had to always feed on site. So it, it really grew exponentially, which, which is great. You know, the, a lot of meals were provided for a lot of children. Yeah, the waivers have been really helpful. Last year, uh, we started doing summer food and I think we served maybe 1400 meals all of last year with the waivers in place because normally my county only or my school district only had two places that were eligible. Uh, with the waivers in place, we were able to make partners with churches and other groups get places set up. We did like 7,500 meals in two months. So yeah, if you can find partners to work with and get this out in your area, it's really helped a lot of people and it's kind of exciting and very saddening to see how many meals we're able to put out at this time. So schools that did it last school year for the summer and are in session right now, they will not be able to take on the summer meals? No, they can. They can continue on through the summer as well. And we expect this summer to see more of our community sponsors coming back as the restrictions have been lifted somewhat. There are still many, many schools that once they saw how great the need was and how successful their programs were, they have opted to stay on as well. Thank you so very much to Misty and Charity. This has been tremendously informative, really tremendously informative. Um, we should have you back on the annual to talk with librarians, if you don't mind doing that. And to all of the librarians who are here, your interest in and commitment to taking care of your kids in more ways than just the traditional library practices and and you know that's more than food and traditional literacy um supports you do so much for the kids in your communities and the families and the people in your communities and i i just admire you so very much and will support you any way i can as you figure out how to integrate these programs into your library services and with that unless anyone has anything else that they need to say or ask and i'll pause for that famous 10 seconds and then say thank you and hope that everybody has a wonderful day. Well, thank you for having Charity and I. I'll speak for both of us. I think you know we'd be happy to come back um, next year or even if there's something six months from now, if anyone has questions or needs a refresher. We always are looking for more partners and to grow our program. So we're happy to come back anytime. Thank you again. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Take good care of yourselves and take care of your kiddos. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. To find out more about Team Vittles and how you can join the food fight, check us out on the web at teamvittles.org. Check out our podcast at teamvittles.podbean.com. 
We are also on Facebook and Twitter. Theme music for our podcast is Peanut Butter and Jam by Illogical Bit. You can be found on soundcloud.com slash illogicalbit. Music promoted by www.free-stock-music.com. Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported.